we come before you tonight. We come and we surrender. In most places in life, if you surrender, it means you've given up or you've lost or it might even mean you go into prison. But Jesus is the one, the only one you surrender to that actually leads to freedom. We come before you tonight. We surrender to you, Holy Spirit. We surrender our plans. We surrender our past. We surrender our bodies. We surrender our minds. We surrender our anxieties. We surrender all to the one who holds the universe in the palm of his hand. We thank you. That one who holds the universe in his hands is present with us tonight. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for each person here. You've called them here together. You've united us together tonight to receive your word, to hear from you, to be tweaked and changed and loved and changed by you tonight. Have your way. Have your way, Holy Spirit. We love you. We worship you. And we thank you. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Let's give Jesus a hand. I think the speakers wanted to give him a hand. If we don't worship, the speakers will worship. How are we all? Yeah, really well. Thanks for asking. All right. Now, um, Pastor Tony is at home listening. He's not feeling the best, but I thought, hey, since he's listening in, why don't we send him our love? So, um, Pastor Tony, I, can, I hope you can hear everyone. Come on, let's lift up a shout of praise for Pastor Tony. Awesome. Now, there's a few few boos, Tony, but that's all right. They weren't loud enough for you to hear. Awesome. Um, so the kids have gone upstairs. If you're joining us for the first time, a, a very warm welcome to you. It's great to have you with us. And um, we meet at this time on Sundays and we meet also on Wednesdays. So um, the doors open um, from 6.30 on Wednesdays, you're free to join us for prayer and the service starts at 7.30, so please join us there. And um, we're going to get straight into the Word, alright? Is that a good idea? Alright, awesome. Okay, so tonight I want to take a few things out of the life of Peter, and I think Peter's life is very relevant to all of us and we can probably identify ourselves in Peter somewhere in his journey. And I was going to put it out there and get some responses from the crowd and ask you, when you think of Peter, what are some words that, that come to mind? 
Well, I, I will do it. I wasn't going to do it, but anyone want to lift their hand and, and tell me what comes to mind when you think of Peter? Any words spring to mind? Anger? All right. Hey? Reminds me of me, all right. Defensive, did someone say? Yeah? What else? Hey? Relatable, yeah? What else when you think of Peter's, Peter in the, in the Gospels? What was he like? Righteous anger, strong? Boldness? Yeah? Tough? Yeah? Persistent? Getting in trouble a lot? Uh, Hot-headed? Rash? Loose cannon? So if I was going to summarise Peter in one word and his journey in the New Testament, I've put it up behind me. It was somewhat inconsistent. And I'm not talking in terms of discipline or attendance. Like Peter was there. Peter was beside Jesus every step of the way, except that awkward bit at the end. But it wasn't a lack of discipline, but he was kind of inconsistent in his, in his character. One moment, he's brave enough to step out on the water, but the next minute, he's sinking. One moment, he's called the rock, on whom Christ would build his church, and the very next line, he's, Jesus is calling him Satan. One minute he's saying to Jesus, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. Neck minute, the rooster's crowed and he's denied Jesus three times. He immediately leaves Jesus. Jesus says, follow me. He immediately leaves his nets. Walks with him for three years. Leaves his nets. The Bible says immediately, Jesus said, follow me. He drops his nets. Leaves his career. Leaves his fishing. Walks with Jesus. The day after Jesus dies, he's back fishing. Returned to his old life. So how is it that Peter can be so close to Jesus, yet seemingly be so inconsistent, or be so close yet so far? He was in Jesus' inner sanctum, Peter, James and John, the three of them. They went places no one else went. Peter was at the Transfiguration. He saw Moses... And Elijah appear with Jesus. He was, only him and James and John were invited into certain places, like when Jairus' daughter was raised to life. He saw people raised to life from death. He saw every miracle that Jesus performed. He saw the demoniac in the cemetery get restored and the demons leave him and go into the pigs and the pigs run down the mountain and dive into the sea. Like there are some those really dramatic things where I was like, man, I would have loved to be there for that one. Would have loved to be there for all of them, but you know what I mean. He saw Jesus walk on water. He walked on the water. He saw Jesus control climate change. I mean the weather. He saw Jesus rebuke the wind and the waves and they licked Jesus' finger. He saw Jesus heal, heal his mother-in-law. He saw Jesus provide more fish than the nets could take. He saw Jesus feed the 5,000 with five loaves and a couple of fish. But to me, the craziest one is... The, t the tax collectors come to Peter and 
say, doesn't Jesus pay the temple tax? And after Jesus says, oh, we're, we're exempt, but so we don't offend them, go to the lake, throw out your line, and there'll be a coin in the mouth of the fish. Take the coin and pay our taxes. You imagine that happened to you. Hey, hon, um, the ATO, are you going to pay that, that bill from the ATO? We've just got a reminder in the mail. Oh, don't worry, hon, I paid it. Oh, where, where'd you get the money? Oh, you know, Jesus told me to go down to um, Chipping Norton Lake and um, cast in a line and I pulled out a fish and there was a USB stick in it and it had five Bitcoin on it and uh, I was able to, to pay our taxes. Like, it's crazy, but Peter witnessed it. Peter was there. It happened to Peter. Because sometimes we can think, man, if, if I had those kind of encounters with God... I'd be set. If I had those kind of encounters, if I witnessed those things, that would be the key to, to me being consistent. I reckon if I saw those things, so much of what I'm struggling with would be resolved. And Jesus says, blessed are those who believe without seeing. So it's easy to think that Inconsistency can be eliminated by another encounter or another miracle, but look at Peter. <laughs> it wasn't. And I'm not saying don't go after an, an encounter, because I encourage you to go after an encounter. But don't put all your eggs in that basket. <clears throat> Peter isn't alone. A lot of the disciples saw the same thing. And strike the shepherd and the sheep scattered. And they all left and it was, all, it was left to John to be in front of the cross by himself. But even John was asleep in the garden of Gethsemane. And you could say, um, okay, there were reasons, right? The work of the cross hadn't been completed. The Holy Spirit hadn't fallen yet. So they're to be excused. So there's some valid reasons there, but how can they be that close to Jesus, walk with him that intimately, day in, day out for three years, and still be so inconsistent? So there are reasons. James talks about being double-minded. A double-minded man is unstable in his, all his ways. Sure, there's temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Um, Ephesians talks about you know, not, no longer being children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. We're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. There's unbelief. There's... Lack of faith, there's, there's plenty of reasons. But what does is, what is inconsistency ultimately lead to? And again, I'm not talking about inconsistent in terms of discipline. Because these guys were with Jesus every day. They attended every prayer meeting. They were there. They got up on time to be with Jesus every day. But when push came to shove their flesh would still overtake. And that's the kind of, that's the inconsistency I'm talking about. The inconsistency in the flesh prevailing over the, the spirit. Because you can be consistent in prayer, in the word, in tongues, in fasting, and still be inconsistent in the flesh. So what is it that was, is the cause of that inconsistency in Peter. Let's go to Matthew chapter 16. And I'll get Becky to pick it up from verse 16, but just before we go there, I'll read um, the background. Jesus says, Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that the Son of Man is? 
Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But Peter, Jesus says, who do you say that I am? So we'll pick it up here. Simon Peter answers and he says, you are the Christ. You are the Son of God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Man! Peter has got it made. Talk about a calling. Talk about a commissioning. And then Jesus commanded his disciples they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. Next line. From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised on the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter takes Jesus aside and he begins, he begins to rebuke Jesus. He says, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. And Jesus turned to Peter and he said, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offence to me. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. And right there, Jesus pinpoints what it is that is keeping Peter inconsistent. You are not mindful of the things of God but the things of men. We'll look at it in a few other translations because it, um, each different translation adds a bit of meaning. The ESV says, you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. The KJV says, thou savourest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. The NASB says, you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. The NIV says, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So Jesus is giving away the reason why Peter is so inconsistent. And that is, he's not interested in God. He's interested in himself. Jesus calls him Satan. Whatever Peter just said was not from the Holy Spirit. It was demonic. But it sounded good. It sounded noble. Lord, I'm not going to let you die. I'm going to be there to defend you. There's no way I'm going to let that happen to you. Sounds like love. I'm not going to let that happen to my friend. Sounds like care. I'm not going to let anyone hurt you. I'll protect you. Sounds good. But Jesus sees way deeper than that and he goes straight to the motive of Peter's heart and he's saying Peter you are only saying that for yourself because I mean everything to you and because you want me for yourself though we call it love and it looks like love and it sounds like love it wasn't love and we know that because ultimately, when Peter is in that situation, he denies Jesus. So Jesus exposes him in that moment. He exposes the motive of his heart right there and then. 
It's, what is it? It's self-preservation. Peter is saying, you're the best thing that ever happened to me. My life changed a lot since I met you. And I'm not going to let that happen to you because of me. He says, I don't want to lose you now. You're the best thing that ever happened to us. No, over my dead body will they do that to you. Peter can't see beyond his own need. He can't see the plan of God. He can't see the plan of the Holy Spirit. He can't see that Jesus came to die, to redeem the whole world. All he's interested in is what Jesus can do and what Jesus means for him. It's completely self-centered. Jesus is saying, you, you haven't been born again. You're not transformed. You're still living for you, Peter. You're still motivated by yourself. And Peter says, in that scripture, it says, I shall not let that happen to you. But really what he's saying is, I won't let that happen to me. He didn't want Jesus to die because he was more interested in Jesus meeting his needs. And it was exposed in that moment. And you know how it's, you know it's not love? Because Paul tells us later, he says, love doesn't seek its own. And Peter was seeking his own. Because if it was true, he would have been at the cross weeping in front of Jesus. He would have been weeping saying, you're amazing Lord. You're absolutely amazing that you would do this for me and for humanity. Um, They've done nothing but hate you. And all you've done is love them and forgive them. Giving your life so that they might live. I honour you. You're amazing. Let everything that you are be true in me. But that wasn't Peter. He wants the things of God rather than the heart of God. So there's such a danger in doing the right things or even appearing to do the right things, but for the wrong reasons. Recently... Um, I was talking to a, to a pastor and we were talking about different pastors in his church and he said, yeah, look, I'm going to be honest with you. All, my, all the pastors in my church are doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. And I was like, whoa, that's huge. And, and he himself came out with it. We can all come to Christ, be near Christ, come to church, serve in church, but we have to check the motive of our heart. Some people will come to church and think, well, this is, you know what, this is, is going to be a good thing for my family and it's going to help me raise a successful family. But that can't be the full extent of the motive. It's true, but that can't be the sole reason. Some people come, I've been searching and my body's breaking down and I need healing and that's why I'm here. And it's true, God does heal and he wants to heal and he heals supernaturally. And sometimes he heals before the person even responds in faith, that's true too. But you can't come to him. That can't be the sole motive of your heart. Oh, I, I remember when I got, got saved at 22. This was funny. And I thought, wow, man, I had an amazing encounter with the Lord. And that's it, I just wanted to serve God. I was a wreck, but I'd had an encounter with the Lord. And 
he hadn't done anything to really put me back together yet, but man, I thought, I've had this encounter, God must be calling me, I'm going to become a priest. And I went to join up in the priesthood. And um, I remember I went through you know, a, a few processes and it came to this final um, interview with the main guy. And I went into the interview room and he started asking me a few questions and he fell asleep. And I just sat there opposite from him in the desk. <laughs> He's fallen asleep. And I started just shuffling papers, maybe, maybe he'll wake up. <laughs> and then he woke up and I thought, okay, he's, he's with me again, you know. We're going to get this priesthood thing done. And two minutes later he was out again. <laughs> and I was like, maybe God doesn't want me to be a priest. <laughs> maybe he wants me to be... A missionary. So I thought, okay, God's clearly given, closed that door of the priesthood, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to obey God. I'm going to, Bible says, sell everything you have, give it to the poor and follow me. So I made this plan that I was going to quit my career and I bought a backpack and um, I was going to go be a missionary for a year. And I'd planned to sell everything I had and I was going to do that. And it was like this, this lump came into my stomach. And I'll never forget it. And I knew God was saying no. Because although I love God and I wanted him, my, my true motive was I just want to run away from my issues. And I want to hide in serving God. I want to hide in the priesthood. I want to hide on the mission field because maybe if I'm seen to be serving God I can convince God that I love him and maybe I can just avoid all the things God has just shown me in my own heart and I thank God that I had some good leaders at the time who said hey you just need to um, let God do that work in your heart before you do anything <clears throat> sounded good people said oh it's amazing wow God bless you but a wrong motive wrong heart flesh not true <clears throat> Paul says if I give all I can give all I have to the poor and surrender my body to the flames. But if I don't do it in love, I gain nothing. So you know what that means? Paul is actually saying that you can actually give everything you have to the poor and even be a martyr for the wrong reason, with the wrong motive. And there's a key in that right there. The ultimate motive, the ultimate motive is love. What was, what was Jesus ultimately trying to correct in Peter? It was Jesus' main commandment was love the Lord your God and love your neighbour as yourself, the golden rule. That's ultimately what Jesus was trying to correct in Peter. Peter if you truly love me, you would actually give up your life for me. If you truly love me, you'd tr really see why I was here. And it's interesting at the end, they're the three questions Jesus asked Peter. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Because the highest motive God wants to get into us is that of love, loving him over ourselves. And so inconsistency, what it is, it's in, inconsistency in your allegiance toward the heart 
and the mind of God. That's why Jesus says, you're not concerned with the things of God, you're concerned with yourself. It's an allegiance to the things of the world rather than to the things of God. That is what Jesus is exposing in Peter. And it's interesting, even in, in Matthew chapter 19, verse 27, right? Peter says, but we've left everything to follow you. Peter turns to Jesus and says, we've, we've left everything to follow you. What then will be there for us? I've left everything to follow you, Jesus. What, what's there for me? I think he's exposed in that moment as well. And that's the danger there. You can be a very disciplined person on the outside, but be inconsistent in your allegiance toward the heart and mind of God. And if there's one thing God wants to do in each of us, it's correct the allegiance of our heart and our mind to get us off ourselves, off the world, and onto him, his concerns, his purpose, which is ultimately love. So let's examine another episode in Peter's life, the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is getting arrested for doing everything right and nothing wrong. And they're coming with their lanterns and their swords and Peter's like, oh, this is my moment. And he, he cuts off Malchus's ear. Now, let's not be naive. Peter wasn't going for his ear. Peter got his ear, but he was going for his head. So Peter pulls out his sword and he's ready to commit murder for Christ. And he's trying to protect Jesus. He's, he's doing what he said he was going to do. And Jesus is like, Peter. Peter, what are you doing? Put your sword away. And it's interesting the contrast between Peter and Jesus in that moment. Because Jesus doesn't say anything to Malchus, the man whose ears have just been chopped off. He doesn't say a word to him. He doesn't come up to him and say, Malchus, you reap what you say? He doesn't say, Malchus, bad company corrupts good character. Should have come on this side. Maybe it's time to repent. Jesus doesn't say anything to Malchus. He just goes and restores his ear. And what does Jesus say to Peter? Peter, if you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. What's he mean by that? He's saying, Peter, you've been with me for three years. Haven't you learnt yet that if you live like them, you'll die like them? I haven't taught you to live this way. I haven't taught you. He's in that same mindset again. I have to protect Jesus for myself. He's completely missing Jesus' purpose, his mission, his call, his love. He's about to commit murder. He thinks he's doing the right thing, but he's only doing the right thing by himself. Jesus, isn't, isn't Jesus' approach so different? Peter's ready. But that's not Jesus. Jesus doesn't say, yeah, defend me with the sword. He doesn't say, um, go protest. He doesn't say, um, you know, start an online protest group, start a petition. He says, love those 
who persecute you. Pray for your enemies. Overcome evil with good. Such a different, such a different mindset, such a different heart. And Jesus said, Peter, wrong heart, wrong mind. He demonstrates the way of love rather than the way of self. Why? So that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. The dangerous thing is, Peter was willing to kill for Christ, but not willing to die to himself. Isn't that crazy? That he was willing to kill someone for Christ because he was, so, uh, he was such an ally of Christ, but he wasn't willing to allow Christ to do that work in him. How dangerous that is. And that's why I, I had this conversation with someone recently and they said, yeah, I was at that protest. Bro, where were you? You know, we were there defending the church and defending the faith. Where were you? And I said, bro, I'm not interested in protests. Um, that's not what Jesus taught us. Sure, sometimes there's a time and place for it. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying to go and um, get aggro at a crowd, that's not Jesus. And I shared with him this. I said, um, look at Peter. He was willing to kill someone for Christ, thinking he was defending Christ, thinking he was doing the right thing for Christ, the right thing by the church. With the wrong reason, wrong motive, wrong heart. Completely opposite to what Jesus called him to do. Next episode, a few scenes later, Jesus is in the courtyard. Jesus has been arrested. And it's interesting that now that, now that Jesus is actually in chains and he's taken away from Peter, Peter goes into denial mode. One second, he, he's no longer thinking, how am I going to um, make sure Jesus is free? He's like... He realised, I can't do anything to make Jesus free now. Now the way to preserve myself is to actually deny him. Do we see that? If I can't keep him for myself by killing someone, now I'll keep, now I'll keep myself by denying him. <clears throat> but it's interesting that when the cock crowed those three times... And it says, Peter wept bitterly. And I think it was in that moment that the penny dropped for Peter. When he heard that crow, or that rooster, or whatever it was, crow three times after denying Jesus three times. I think the penny dropped for him then. Now... We all know this, what happens there. Jesus is in the courtyard and someone comes up to him and says, you're a Galilean, weren't you with Jesus? And he says, no, I never knew him. And maybe Peter was telling the truth. But he says it three times and then the cock crows. Now next scene. Jesus is resurrected and they're going back fishing. And Jesus is on the shore. And he, he talks to the disciples in the boat and he says, cast your net on the other side of the boat. And they did. And they weren't able to draw in the number of fish they caught. And John says, it's the Lord. And then Peter jumps out of the boat into the water and starts swimming towards Christ on the shore. Now I'm going to pick it up at um, John chapter 21. Uh, sorry, John 21. John 21 verse 7. It says, Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he'd removed it, and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples 
came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it, and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you've just caught. Simon Peter went up, dragged the net to the land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Then Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And likewise the fish, Jesus makes breakfast. Asks Peter, do you love me? So when they'd eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved, but he said to him the third time, because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And he goes on to tell him, most assuredly I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. And when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. <clears throat> so there's, we're probably familiar with the parallels between Jesus' denial and, Jesus, uh, and Peter's, sorry, Peter's denial and Peter's restoration, right? When Jesus was arrested, Peter said, I don't know him, I don't know him, I don't know him, three times. When Jesus is restoring him, Jesus asks him three times, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? It's as though he, he reversed every one of his denials. But there's another parallel that I picked up on when I was reading this the other day. And this is how this, this message was actually birthed. Um, Mark chapter 14, verse 66 to 72. Going back to Peter, the place of Peter's denial, it says, Now as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You were also with Jesus of Nazareth. And that's when Peter denied him. So it was interesting. There was a, there was a fire in the courtyard where, Jesus, where Peter denied Jesus. It was like at his denial, and it says Peter just wanted to be, keep himself warm. It was like on the outside he was really zealous, but on the inside towards the things of God he just wanted to be warm. He was zealous on the outside, but Internally, he was actually lukewarm. It says he was keeping himself warm by the fire when he denied Jesus. Willing to be near the fire of God, but not too close. I don't want to be burnt. I don't want to be consumed by our God who's a consuming fire. I don't want to be purified by the fire. I just want to be warm. I'll be close, but not too close. And we know what Jesus says about those who want to be warm. At his restoration, there's a fire as well. John chapter 21, verse 9 to 10. This is the scene on the beach. 
And as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you've just caught. On the fire are some fish and bread. And I want to show you what I saw in this. When John says it's the Lord, Peter jumps out of the boat into the water and swims to the shore. While the other disciples are in, remain in the boat, pulling the net full of fish towards the shore. Peter was actually the fish that Jesus finally caught in that moment. It's like in that moment, Peter had finally been fished. And when he came to shore and he saw the fish in the fire, he understood what it meant to die. That his head was, was no longer there. His scales had been rem removed. That his insides had been cleansed. That he'd been in the fire and no longer just near the fire. But he'd actually let the word of God, the spirit of God, actually burn up his motives. So that it's no longer him who lives but Christ who lives within him. Jesus says, bring some of the fish you just caught. And Peter brought himself. <clears throat> Christ finally had Peter. Hook, line, and sinker. And I'll finish up soon, but I want to share this. Actually, before I share that, I'll share this. On the boat, Jesus says, cast your net to the other side. And that was signifying a change in your mindset, and in your heart. On one side, you're living for yourself and for the world. Jesus is saying, cast, switch, opposite. Heart for God, mind for God, motives for God, not for yourself. And I feel to, to really highlight this. And this is, this is such a beautiful thing, and I always reflect on this, that after the resurrection, Peter had just denied Jesus three times. He's risen from the dead. Mary Magdalene's at the tomb. The body's missing. The angel speaks to Mary and he says, Don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. See the place where he laid him, where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. That is such a beautiful picture of God's patience and his grace towards Peter and towards us. Think about how patient Jesus was with Peter. Through all those episodes, through all those ups and downs, the fact that he denied him when it mattered most. And he says, go tell the disciples and make sure you tell Peter. 
as Peter could have been left in condemnation, thinking, yeah, well, he's called the disciples, he hasn't called me. I denied him. Jesus doesn't come and say, oh, <laughs> that Peter, when, it, when push comes to shove, what came of him? That low-life Peter, where was he when I needed him? After all that, after three years with me, is that how you repay me, Peter? No. That is not the heart of God. The heart of God is, make sure you tell Peter that I've risen and that I go before him to Galilee. And so there's, this is actually a message of hope and encouragement that even if we've lived with the wrong motives or our hearts have been off, Christ's compassion, his forgiveness, that even Judas... He loved him till the end. And that love, that love is what actually motivates us to change our motives. Amazing. The motives. Christ says, narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life and there are few who find it. Wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go by that way. Isn't it interesting that he says there's the gate and then the way. Usually we think of a way or a path leading to a gate. But he says there's the gate and then there's the way. He's the gate. Jesus is the gate and there's a way after salvation, after turning to Christ and he says it's a narrow way. That's a difficult saying but it's also an exciting one because he's with us and he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So it's good news. And I'm often amazed at how you can think that this is, man, I've been battling this for so long, I don't see how I can become more consistent in this way. Like I'm just on this cycle but actually, the Holy Spirit will tweak things in you. And those adjustments can be very quick. Sometimes they can take a while. Sometimes it can be through a trial. But you'll be amazed at what the Holy Spirit can tweak in you if you're surrendered to him. In a moment, one thing he can show you, because one of the main ways to move forward with, in terms of your motive, is to actually see what your true motive is. Because when you see what your true motive is, the truth, truth has already come to set you free. The danger is when you can't see what your true motive is. And Peter was thinking, my motives are pure. I'm going to protect this guy to the end. I love him. He's been the best thing that ever happened to me. And it wasn't until he saw the true motive of his heart that he was able to change. 
Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thanks, bro. Lord, we thank you that your call isn't complicated. Sometimes we complicate it. You are not the author of confusion. We thank you for bringing clarity tonight. So that we can be further refined. So we can be purified by the fire of God. Lord, we put ourselves on the fire. Fire where there's light from the fire to reveal what the motives of our heart is or are. The light of the fire, but the fire itself to burn it up. Anything that would result in our allegiance to the world or to ourselves. We yield to you, Jesus. We surrender every motive that isn't consistent with your heart. Lord, if it isn't in you, we don't want it in us. If we can't see it in you, we don't want to see it in us. If we can't hear it from you, we don't want it to be heard from us. Thank you. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. That right now you're setting people free. Scales are falling off their eyes. Thank you for your healing anointing that would not allow anyone to fall into condemnation or shame, but into true repentance that results in a change of heart where they're actually free and no longer bound by the torment of living for themselves. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Do a work. Thank you, Lord. You're dealing with self-defensiveness, self-preservation. That you can be trusted. Someone here who's been disappointed by God. That form of defense is being broken right now. You can trust. Someone afraid to give all of themselves to the Lord. What it will cost. What if it doesn't work out? Maybe I should just play it safe. Play it both ways. Thank you, Lord, you're dealing with that mindset. Someone here thinking it's too hard. 
Thank you. It's not by your power, your might, but by his spirit. Thank you for perseverance under persecution, Lord. Thank you. You keep each one, Lord. Never leave nor forsake them. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 The altar's open if anyone would like prayer. Otherwise, God bless you. We love you. And see you on Wednesday.